Hello! Welcome to It's Okay to Feel with Jennifer and Known, a NAMI OC podcast, where we explore mental health topics that help you feel your feelings and feel a little less alone. We're so happy you're here. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to It's Okay to Feel, a podcast by uh, NAMI OC and by me, Known Wells, and by my friend and co-host, Jennifer Lynn. Hello, Jennifer. Hello. How are you? I am great. I'm great. <laughs> uh, I'm great because we just had a wonderful conversation with Dr. Christina. Uh, Christina is a therapist, and this episode's all about therapy. And I love therapy. Therapy is my jam. What kind of jam? Marmalade. Ah, that's pretty good. Therapy is awesome. And I love that we had this conversation because we need to knock down the walls that therapy is only for like crazy people or people who have big problems. And I, I mean, therapy is for everybody to figure out their journey better, more fluidly. Therapy is for everybody. And i um, really excited for you guys to listen to this, uh, this interview with um, Dr. Christina uh, and, uh, yeah, but before we get into it though, I wanted to, uh, just have a chat here with my co-host and friend Jennifer about therapy and our own sort of personal experiences with therapy. So Jennifer, you, you actually mentioned in our chat briefly with Dr. Christina that, You've tried therapists out, but it just hasn't worked out for you. I, I'm curious, like I'm curious to learn a bit more about that. What's so, what's what's going on there? <laughs> I don't remember. Well, I the first therapist I went to when I was six, but I don't know what kind of therapist he was. <laughs> but he gave me a panda and then I left. Um I don't know. Like I have I struggle. Uh, my worth is like tied to money and I struggle spending money on myself. So I've tried like a variety of options from sliding scale, but the only sliding scale I found were Christian therapists. Um, and I am not a Christian. So I felt like I had to like hide who I am in order to afford therapy or mm. try to get, you know, convinced that I'm not Jewish. Um, or like I either judged them because I felt like they didn't struggle with things that I've struggled with. So I felt like they weren't necessarily equipped to handle how I was feeling, even if I felt like those feelings were silly. Um, I even had one therapist break up with me. Like she tried to break up with me for like a few weeks and I'm an idiot. And I still gave her like 80 bucks each time I was there. And she kept saying like, Therapies like shoes. You probably should try on a lot of shoes before you choose a pair of shoes to buy. And oh, like, wow. <laughs> yeah. So, and I still, I was like, huh, all right, here's your $80. And I came back like the next week. And finally, she's like, look, I think you should find another therapist. And I'm like, I was just broken up with, which is fine. She was more woo woo than I would have liked. Like, she wanted me to be a tree in the first, um, in the first uh, session, which, that is fine for some people. That's not necessarily, you know, what I wanted at the time. So <laughs> I should have just taken that and, and found a new one. But I don't know. I still, I've never found one that I'm like super duper comfortable with. Yeah. Yeah. And that's okay. I, you know, 
you'll hear it in the episode, the interview episode, uh, the, the episode, the interview with Dr. Christina, that uh, it sometimes takes time. And also, I think it's important to note that therapy may be not for everyone, and that's okay. You know, for me, it's been a crucial tool in my mental health, and for you, maybe not, and that's okay. Like, I, I think when it comes to mental health, there are so many different tools that can help us and guide us. And therapy is just one of many, you know, um, for me, therapy, like the first time I went to therapy, it was after I got back from Wales, I studied abroad in Wales, my sophomore year in college. And I was also very anorexic, uh, like on, on death's door anorexic. Um, and I went to this therapist that my family found, and I just, I think I was kind of shut down. I, I didn't, I was still not sure of like the traumas I was experiencing and the depression I was feeling and experiencing. And I just kind of went through the motions. And I, I think, you know, having conversations with people about their therapeutic experiences that's pretty common like for the first time is like you want to you go through the motions like maybe you're there because a family member wants you there or what have you and um, it took it took uh, a number of years before I found the therapist that I'm seeing now and and still go to see you know you know on a semi regular basis because therapy for me just allows me to kind of get out of my own head a bit you know, it allows like just a different perspective. And I think when it comes to like our mental health, like different ideas and perspectives and and people and other people are crucial, right? Like as much as this culture tells us we need to like be these like singular beacons of strength uh, and independent the reality is we need each other and therapy is just another reminder of that i think what was like the what made you feel like this was the right therapist for you like what are the cues as someone who has never found like a fit obviously uh like what made you feel like this was it uh that's a great question i think it was a combination of things i think one was the fact that i was ready Right. I like I you really have to be ready yourself mm -hmm. and you have to know what that means for yourself, too. And so for me, it was, you know, for years prior to that, I, I started sort of processing, you know, the traumas I experienced and, and things like that through writing. And it, and, and it that was kind of like an initial step that I needed to do even prior to, to therapy. And then as I started sharing a little bit, you know, of my writing with friends and maybe sharing a little bit online, I got comfortable with the vulnerability of that experience. And I felt like, okay, I think I've, I've done some things on my own that made me feel a little bit more comfortable in sharing and being vulnerable. Now I want to like level up, you know, in a way, right. And, and allow a professional to kind of like help me, unpack some of this stuff and way and, and way find through some of these things that um, are difficult, you know, and that are uncomfortable. But, you know, she, my therapist, she just saw me for who I was and made me feel safe and comfortable. And 
we also made out, which, you know, uh, I'm just kidding. We didn't make out. I don't know if I should have said that. I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. That's a joke. We didn't make out. Um, but no, she's his wife, Jessica. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, exactly. No, I mean, she just made me feel safe. She, she made me feel comfortable and, um, and it's why I'm still seeing her today. I'm slightly jealous. Yeah, no. <laughs> like I said, therapy may not be for you, and that's that's okay. And for folks listening who have been through a similar experience as Jennifer, you know, therapy just might not be for you, and that's okay. But I would encourage you to give it a shot if you have the means to do so. That's a, and that's another thing, another piece of it that we talked about in the interview that's coming up is, is the accessibility to therapy, right? Like the, you know, you mentioned like the, the, the cost of it and it's costly and it shouldn't be mm-hmm. like, it just shouldn't be. And Dr. Christina talked about like how it should be part of our uh, curriculum in education. And I concur completely. Like that's, that's like that piece of it. Like that's another thing that I want to, bring into like the Feely Human Collective is like that type of education and that type of work Uh, because, you know, clearly the system isn't doing it, you know, clearly the, you know, I don't, I don't know what needs to change, you know, other than, you know, keep voting locally, keep voting, you know, doing that stuff, you know, but I don't know. I, it's such a like huge system wide change that needs to happen. It's like a whole mind shift change. And the hard part is like, if it's a bunch of older people making decisions for people they don't know or really care about, then how, I mean, that's like the hardest type of mind to change, unfortunately. Um, Yeah. Yeah. The only thing we can do is like, I guess, work within locally and get our voices heard the best we can. And I mean, I hope. But that is a really good point. Like you would have to be very um, active, like trying to change your current like school system in order to make that happen. Like there would be a lot of hoops to jump through. Yeah. And and maybe you like jumping through hoops. And I, <laughs> maybe you I do. Applaud, I applaud <laughs> you for that because, uh, you know, you're fighting against uh, legacy and, and, and decades of, um, just, this is how we do it, right? That mindset that exists in education, that exists in medicine, that exists in corporate America, this mindset of like, this is how we do it. But the reality is, you know, talking to you listeners, like we each have capacity for change and impacting change in our communities. And I think it starts with talking about our mental health. It starts with talking about therapy and talking about the wonders of, that therapy can bring you and, and things like that. Um, it's one heart at a time. Like that's, that's how I like to think, think of it because otherwise it feels too overwhelming. So you mentioned earlier writing. What, are, what do you think are some other ways that people, if they either can't find a therapist or... Um don't have the financial means to find a therapist. Like what other things do you think people can um, try doing to help themselves? Mm. Yeah. I think that, you know, there are myriad things and I I think uh, a key is that there are some universal things that can help, but there are also so much unique 
things that that really only maybe speak to you, but some things that you know can help us, you know, through hard times or through getting to know ourselves better. You know, certainly writing, certainly, um, you know, practices like mindfulness, you know, uh, creating safe spaces with people. Like I, I, you know, I started the Feel the Human Collective to be like a space for people to to really come together and to like allow um, allow you to see like the beauty of of that connection can be and what empathy can do to our mental health. And, and I think so like really just creating little communities and pockets of communities where you feel safe enough to talk about these things because it's, you know, the reality is like, it's cool to talk about this stuff. It is cool. Like we, I'm, we are the coolest people on the planet is clearly (laughs) what I'm trying to say. (laughs) I'm just kidding, but it's cool. Like it, I mean, I say that sort of in jest a little bit, but the reality is it's cool to get to know yourself. It's cool. It, you're like a you're like a journeyman. You're you're on an adventure to like learn more about who you are. And that process allows you to better connect with others, to grow, to heal, to 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 continue making an impact on your community and the world. And that is that is like a beautiful ripple effect that like the having these conversations and therapy and stuff that, that can, that can happen. That I do agree with that. Um, well, thank you. I didn't, I don't need your approval, but um, I appreciate yes, it. Yes, you do. I'm, <laughs> I'm one of the most important people in the world. So <laughs> is that what you said? The coolest people in the world? Coolest. Yeah. We're the coolest. The coolest. Uh, yeah. The coolest. Um, I will also say creativity has been great for me. I'm not mm, a good yeah. writer. I have, I tend to have an issue with myself with like allowing myself things, like allowing myself to spend money on myself for therapy, allowing myself to read a book that might be beneficial. Like, but the one thing I have allowed myself, I know I have issues. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, it is like, Hey Jennifer. Hey, yes. You deserve it. Oh, thank you, you are worthy of all of the things <laughs> that fill your heart. Oh, thank you. Um, I don't know if my toddler agrees with that anymore. Probably should have taken more action before he was born. But well, he knows nothing. He knows nothing. Actually, he's, he's, he thinks he knows everything. <laughs> I know. Sure. He's a toddler. But drawing out my feelings, which ended up turning into like my whole business, like is literally how I started getting myself out of like, what I call like the depressed burrito state, which is I literally just spent hours like rolling on a floor crying. Like I, it was bad. Um, and I started, I couldn't talk to anyone about how I was feeling and like literally and figuratively, like I had trouble speaking about what I was feeling about. And, uh, so I started drawing like encouraging things that I wish someone would tell me back if I was able to tell them things. Um, Mm. and then that's so beautiful. I love that. Thank you. Uh, and then it kind of spiraled into like, like a life meaning, uh, like helping other people not have to go through what I've gone through. And that's not to say like, if you start trying to like, this will become your life meaning either. It's just what happened to me personally. Yeah, it is a, it is a, um, hearing you say that like gives me goosebumps cause it does, it's like a, um, it's a release in a way, like it's a language actually is what I'm trying to say is like, you didn't have the words yet 
to process it verbally. So you used your talent for art, right? And and you're able to process it that way, which is beautiful. Thank you. And boy, yeah. if you saw those drawings now, it's laughable. <laughs> hey, we all okay. got to start somewhere. I know. That's the best part about writing, I'm sure, too, or other creative like outlets. Um, and I say that like everyone is creative. Creativity is not only for like great artists. Like there are so many ways to be creative. And the best part about that is looking back and being like, whoa, I did grow. Who knew that? Whoa, that's <laughs> thank goodness for that. Um, as long as you just keep on trucking. Yeah. Yeah. And there's this idea that we as humans, or this is, it's like a feeling we get, and maybe it's the pressure from all of the things, but this feeling that like we need to be good and positive and okay. Mm. And, you know, one of like the goals of this podcast, truly, and, and certainly of this conversation here, is to remind people that it's okay to struggle. Like it's, it sucks and, but it's just part of the human condition. It's, it's, it's ups and downs. It's brights and darks. Like I like to say, it's, it's part of the tapestry of what makes you special. And so it's okay to feel like Mm -hmm. feelings are messy. Feelings are, you know, um, weird and uncomfortable sometimes. And like, what am I doing with this thing? You know? So just I wanted to bring that piece into it because I know for me, like going through therapy, it has you know it hasn't always been hunky dory. You know, um, I am ex- I'm going through EMDR therapy right now, and for the what listeners, what is that? Who, oh yeah, go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, I desensitate um, I dis no eye movement desensitization and repro- reprocessing. I can't even say that. Eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. There we go. All right. No, why don't you just tell me what it is? (laughs) (laughs) So it's really, um, I, it's really a, a tool for trauma and unpacking and unlearning trauma. So it, it, uh, it started, I think it started, um, EMDR started in, gosh, I'm going to get this so wrong. Um, Uh, <laughs> well, it started. I, I think uh, therapists started using it uh, to help with PTSD specifically, and it has since grown into this thing to just help with trauma in general. And I've been doing EMDR therapy to help with certain childhood traumas. Uh, I grew up with a father who was very uh, violent and, and difficult, and uh, so just processing them, some of those experiences and. The way it was described to me is, well, there's two ways. One is like, you know how when you're sleeping, your eye, your eyes are moving, moving, like you can see a little bit of movement behind the eyelids. Mm -hmm. And the way uh, EMDR is supposed to sort of uh, approximate that experience, because when you're sleeping, your, your brain is like, it's going back and forth, left to right, left to right, left to right. And it's it's a, it's kind of a healing process. It's a recovery process. And EMDR therapy is like you can do it with light or you can do it with buzzers. And I, I hold the buzzers, buzzers, one in my left hand, one in my right hand. And then it goes back and forth, buzzing left and right, left and right. And it's supposed to sort of approximate that feeling and that experience. And so 
it it allows you to go back to a specific traumatic experience and to look on it um, as your present self, right? As your adult self. And to, you know, hopefully give your younger self some kindness and some grace and some understanding to eventually be able to reintegrate those traumatic memories so that you're not stuck there. So the next time you have a feeling that like triggers that traumatic memory, it's not so triggering. It's not so impactful. It's just, oh, you remember it and you kind of are able to kind of move on because that memory has been reintegrated into your body is the idea of it. Okay. Here's a good, um, I think it's a good question. I'm just telling you it is a good question. Um, I can't wait. (laughs) And it kind of relates back to something or not back, but forward to what Dr. Christina was talking about is there, we've made so much progress in uh, psychology, therapy, psychotherapy. How, how do you kind of like introduce people to all these new not systems, like techniques, because that kind of sounds like really um, hard to process to me, like that type of therapy. And But I'm sure there's a lot of different ways that people might feel that way. So how, what do you think is a good way to like introduce people to all these different unique ways to try and help people? Hmm. I think, I mean, I don't think I did a great job of it. <laughs> I, I think... <laughs> But I do think breaking them down into like simple understandings of the things like, you know, Dr. Christina said in our interview, therapy is like a conversation. Mm -hmm. And I think that is important because we do have these big ideas about what therapy is and media tells us it's, you know, this and that. And that's not true. And so when we hear Dr. Christina say, Therapy is just like conversation. That, you know, that makes me feel like, oh, okay, like this is just a chat. Like this is just a conversation. It's about like setting the expectation and tone that like this is a safe, easy space. I'm here with you now. I see you. And so I think approaching any anything that way is important, right? Is like reminding people that we're in this together, that I'm here to help guide you where you need to go, right? As opposed to like, um, you know, like having to some perform in some way. I think like some people have told me in my conversations, like when you go to therapy, you feel like you have to perform. You feel like you have to like, am I doing this right? You said that even. Am I doing this right? Mm-hmm. And there's no right or wrong. There's just what you ultimately want to get out of it. And sometimes that's not clear at first and that's okay too, you know? Mm. So um, I think we can wrap it up there. Uh, listeners, thank you for being here. Um, we're very excited to take you on this it's okay to feel journey because it is okay to feel. And I hope you enjoy the interview with Dr. Christina about therapy. We really kind of dive deep and uh, it's great. It's a great conversation. Um, Before we get to uh, plugs and things and resources, just wanted to remind you that It's Okay to Feel is for informational and educational and or entertainment purposes only and is not a substitute for medical or psychiatric advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We are 
just silly billies. And uh, but we have lived experience. So the point of that disclaimer is that we're not therapists. We're just we're just like you guys. Uh, we also have a another disclaimer that Jennifer will say. Okay. I am excited because <laughs> It's Okay to Feel is funded by the Orange County Healthcare Agency, OCHCA, Behavioral Health Services, Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security, the CARES Act, which means that we get to do this amazing journey with you because of them, and we're very grateful. We are indeed. And uh, before we go, uh, where can the listeners out there uh, connect with this show and uh, tell them a little bit about, I guess, where they can connect with you, Jennifer. Sure. So you'll be able to find this show anywhere you can listen to podcasts and on NAMI OC's website. We are It's Okay to Feel. You can find me online. My website is jenniferlin.com, J-E-N-I-P-H-E-R-L-Y-N.com. And it's the same on Instagram. I would love to hear from you. And if you have any um, conversations you want to have or anything you want to talk to us about, I'm pretty sure our email is it's okay to feel at namioc.org. That's correct. Yeah. And I am on Instagram. My, my podcast, Yumi Empathy, is at Yumi Empathy on Instagram. My small business, Feely Human, is at Feely Human on Instagram. And you can learn about me and the work I do at feelyhuman.co. That's F-E-E-L-Y human.co. And uh, thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the interview. I'm just going to read this little outro because I like it and I think you'll like it too. (laughs) Hey, remember that your feelings are valid. Your feelings are guideposts on your journey. And it's always okay to feel. More than okay. All right. Hello. Welcome to It's Okay to Feel. We are here with Dr. Christina uh, talking about therapy today. This is the interview segment of It's Okay to Feel. Uh, Dr. Christina has uh, been a guest on my podcast, Yumi Empathy. She is wonderful. She is a therapist. And uh, I'm going to just let her introduce herself. Dr. Christina, welcome. And uh, please uh, introduce yourself. Tell the listeners a little bit about uh, the work you do. Perfect. Well, first, thank you for having me. Um, I am a licensed clinical psychologist based out of the San Francisco Bay Area. Right now, I spend my time doing private practice as well as media contribution to help raise awareness around mental health and hopefully make an impact towards combating stigma. In 2018, I founded the hashtag therapy is cool mental health action campaign, which aims to dispel myths around mental health and help normalize accessing mental health support such as therapy. In the last two years, we have done an awesome job in raising awareness throughout different social media platforms. And I am happy to announce that we have raised over $10,000 for mental health services across the United States. So that's a little about me and why I'm so excited to come on here and talk more about mental health and 
hopefully help people feel like this is finally in year 2020, a topic that we should all be having in our homes, at our workplace, and with our friends. Indeed. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, I want to, I want to get it before we get into like therapy and what it is and all that stuff. Like I want to first hear about your own, a little bit about your own sort of personal experience with therapy. Can you share a little bit about that? Absolutely. So growing up, I would consider myself an anxious kid yet didn't have the terminology or the awareness that many of us at a young age aren't equipped with. So I navigated my earlier years feeling a lot of anxiety, but not having the language or the tools to really talk about what it was until I was an adolescent and a family member had been struggling with trauma and had actually lend itself for multiple people to access mental health support. So this family member had ongoing issues and accessed their own mental health support through therapy and treatment, which then lended itself for myself and other family members to also seek out that support Initially, I didn't realize that the ongoing things that were unfolding in my household were actually bringing to the surface my own anxiety until I was in therapy. Once I was in therapy, which was approximately in high school, I was able to start to notice that the way my anxiety manifested was very much physically through stomach aches, headaches, panic attacks, and having access to mental health support and being encouraged by my family to seek it out truly lended itself for me to start the process of addressing my symptoms and learning tools to cope with all of these external stressors that was happening in my household. Thankfully, I was able to truly find the benefits that therapy had to offer, and that marked my path to becoming a therapist. Being able to be on both sides of the couch, understanding the worth that therapy is and how amazing it can benefit people's healing process made me want to pursue a career and dedicate my adult years to hopefully have that space for those that might need additional mental health support at some point in their lives. And so I went to school, studied psychology, went straight to grad school and have now as an adult continued to not only provide therapy, but participate in my own therapy because it is a opportunity at any point in any of our lives to access support, whether we're struggling or whether we're just needing an extra source of feedback and guidance. I love that your family was super supportive about this because it's like a, sometimes it's a crapshoot whether your family will uh, try to help you in like a a healthy way. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think that unfortunately 
at least what I see as a therapist is a lot of times families are resistant to therapy and that can be for multiple reasons. It could be because families tend to want to keep struggles and issues in house. It can be because people don't trust the medical field. It can be because maybe they as parents were never given an opportunity to understand their emotions or mental health needs. It can be because limited access. There's so many compounding factors on why family members, especially parents, tend to be hesitant in seeking out support that can be truly beneficial. Yeah, that that does make sense. There are a lot of factors. Uh, And you point out, you know, some familial is is a big one and, and, you know, just societal, right? Like the stigma piece of it. Um, I'm curious, like, can you just for the listeners, can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, I know you're doing a specific type of therapy. Can you talk about like any various types of therapy that you're aware of and, and you're, you know, capable to talk about? Absolutely. I am, I view therapy as kind of this umbrella where underneath it, there are different modalities or techniques or interventions that a therapist might pull from or practice within that can be helpful. So what I mean by that is back when therapy first came into existence, it was very psychoanalytic um, and it was very focused on things like the unconscious or our past or childhood. Since therapy has evolved and the field has become bigger, we have been given opportunities to learn different skill sets to meet the people we work with's needs. And that can be anything from cognitive behavioral therapy, which believes that, you know, our cognitions drive our behaviors. It can be motivational interviewing techniques, which helps people make decisions on ambiguous things that they might be struggling with. It can be ACT, which is acceptance and commitment therapy. It can be DBT. So throughout the years in the evolution of therapy, we've now been gifted all these different modalities that are extremely useful for us to have access to because depending on what the presenting struggle is, we now have different treatment modalities to match it with in hopes that that can be most successful. If somebody is coming in with trauma, let's say, as their presenting concern, now we have multiple trauma treatments that can allow that person to process their struggles in a safe and supportive ways. Back in the day, there was very limited options in terms of treatment. Now, in 2020, we continue to seek out different treatment opportunities so that people have a plethora to choose from and hopefully can find benefit from one of these treatments that are tailored specifically to the issue, problem, or challenge that brings them into therapy. Hmm. So (laughs) I'm curious, like, Jennifer, did you have a question? Sorry. I oh, wanna... no, 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 no. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, no, you, you, you're curious about something. Curiosity is <laughs> curious. 
<laughs> well, I, I guess I, you know, it's when I hear you talk about the various types of therapy, it does seem very um, like it's, it's progressed, right? Yes. You know, it, it's accommodating, you know, it's accommodating to a, a, a plethora, right? A tapestry of struggle and, and discomfort or whatever, anything that people are experiencing, you can probably find uh, a therapeutic model that will work for you. And yet there's this disconnect with the stigma side of it, like the, the social or whatever side of it isn't, you know, isn't following along that progression. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It feels like if this was, um, let's say, modern medicine and we had these new and improved medications to help people treat physical ailments yet nobody was willing to do it. That's how I see therapy oftentimes. We have these new techniques, modalities, interventions that we in the medical field know can work, yet the outside population continues to view it as something either negative, shameful, or somehow problematic that somebody would seek out this form of treatment, people tend to associate that as, oh, well, that person must have big issues or that person must have all these problems. When in turn, wouldn't we all want access to things that can help us be our healthiest and happiest self? Well, we tend to do that physically, right? We go to the doctors, we take vitamins, we, you know, find exercise or joyful movement. There's no stigma attached to that. Yet when it's these things that we're doing to take care of our mental health, right? Whether it's mindfulness practices, therapy, journaling, suddenly there are these ideas and criticisms that people shouldn't be doing that or quote unquote shouldn't need that. And to me, that is confusing because we don't tell people they shouldn't go to the doctor when they have a broken bone. So why would we tell someone that they shouldn't go to see a therapist if they're struggling with, let's say, a traumatic event? Why do you think that is? That's one of my biggest pet peeves. Like, I don't understand. Like, I saw, I, I even tagged known, like, that was your one of your Instagram posts recently is that if you fall down and break your leg, you go get mm-hmm. a cast. Mm-hmm. But what they would tell you if you, you know, are struggling with something mentally, they'd say like, get over it or yes. forget about it or you're too sensitive. Mm-hmm. And I, I, for the late, I don't logically understand like the disconnect of this or like why, why people can't accept help in another manner. Mm-hmm. I don't think you're alone in, in that confusion. I think that unfortunately, Mental health struggles, mental health conditions, mental illness, all of that has a very long history of um, prejudicial and discriminatory practices used against it. Everything from, you know, asylums um, to incarceration for, you know, mental illness related crimes. We as a society continue to say that if it's Something mentally that you're struggling with, you somehow should already know the tools and be able to navigate it, no matter if it is something small, big, or overwhelming. We tend to remove compassion, kindness, support, understanding when it comes to mental health, 
yet we are able to give that to other populations. And it's a big concern because if we continue to stay in this mindset that mental health issues aren't real, mental health issues aren't important, mental health issues aren't debilitating, then people will continue to A, suffer in silence, and B, you know, ultimately live a life where they are in chronic emotional or mental pain. Hmm. I, I wonder, I wonder if a component of that is like when we, when we look at someone who has a broken arm, for instance, like we can, as humans kind of look at that and say like, oh, like I can, I can go there. You know, I can empathize with that. Like maybe I've hurt my arm before and it's, it's, I don't know, it's a lot easier, but when it comes to mental health, like it's, it's this mystery land, right? It's like, and, and it's, it's a lot more overwhelming and scary, right? Because it has to do with our minds. It has to do with our brains, you know? And, and I think a, my theory is that a component of that, you know, not willingness or whatever it may be, just blockers is that piece of it is it's the fear. It's, it's scary. It's, it's not having the thing sort of wrapped up in this box of understanding. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting because I would imagine every single person at some point in their life will struggle with a mental health issue, need, or challenge. So I'm, it's unclear on why at the most basic foundational level, we are not encouraging conversation or education around this. I've talked a lot about how school systems need to have a mental health component to their physical education programs. We need from the start of education, age-appropriate mental health information being given to children, adolescents, and adults so that we are continuing to talk about this in a way where people can understand that, yes, one in five Americans struggle with a mental health condition, but five out of five have mental health. We all have mental health. And if we all have it, then we are all susceptible to struggling with it at some point in our life. Why aren't we at the first introduction to education, being given an opportunity to learn about our mind, to learn about our emotions, to learn about our feelings, so that we can be our own advocate if at any point in our life, it's something we struggle with. That's such a good point. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) I'm curious what, uh, so I've been to a handful of therapists in my life. I've never found anyone I've connected with ever. So I never ended up continuing to go, mm-hmm. even knowing that I need it. And it's expensive. And I have trouble spending money on myself. So what would you say to someone who has kind of struggled finding like the right fit, but still needs help? It is a very real component of therapy. And I think continues to have so many layers associated. Why finding the right fit with a therapist continues to be such a hurdle for many people. At the most basic level, the therapeutic relationship between the two humans, right? The therapist and the person seeking out support 
client needs to be there for any sort of progression to truly unfold. So what that means is if you go into your first therapy session and it's not the right fit, sometimes we can tell, you know, right off the bat, sometimes it takes, you know, a few sessions in or longer to really get this idea that, hey, why am I continuing to feel uncomfortable in a space that's supposed to allow me to, you know, be vulnerable and talk about the things that are difficult for me? Why am I feeling like I can't open up? And continuing to ask ourselves these questions can really help point the idea that as uncomfortable as it is to maybe end therapy, um, especially when we're knowing that we still need that access to support, it's a disservice to continue in a therapeutic relationship that isn't serving you. So yes, it's hard to, you know, what I say, break up with your therapist. It's awkward. It's uncomfortable. People have, you know, many reasons on why it's not what they want to do. But for me and what I tell the people I work with is I, I need this to be beneficial so that you can get something out of it. And if I'm not the person that is the right fruit for you, then my job ethically is to help you find that person and to help you find the right fit so that you can feel like therapy is a space for the work to be done versus a space that people just go to once a week, say a few things, and then end up leaving and not feeling any benefit from it. Yeah. Yeah. Unlike Jennifer, I... I mean, similar. I, I uh, you know, I certainly went through a few therapists before I found one uh, who I've been going to for the past few years now, and it does, it does take. Um, it's it's uncomfortable, and for the listeners, like uh, the folks listening, you know, know that like you're worth seeking that work out, and and know that also that if the therapist, like Dr. Christina, is a professional and ethical at their job, like they're going to want what's best for you and they're, they're not going to take it personally. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think I, it was, it's also like partially like maybe I'm just doing it wrong. Like mm-hmm. maybe this is what it's supposed to be since I've never, I think I've gone to maybe 12 different therapists, like, or maybe more. And I thought I, so I go in thinking, okay, well maybe, maybe I'm doing something wrong. <laughs> like, Hmm. But I think that that's our, our fear, right? As humans, when we're in relationships, right? Whether family, friends, romantic, work, therapy, right? In all of our relationships, I think so many of us have this underlying fear of that we're doing things wrong. And even more so when it's a vulnerable relationship like a therapeutic one, when you go into therapy, you do need a sense of safety and support and connection to really get the, the full benefit. And if it's not there right off the bat, I think it's completely human for us to think, is it me? And sometimes we play a role in that, right? We might be safeguarding our emotions. We might be resistant to being in therapy, but sometimes it's the therapist and we can't 
internalize the the disconnect as it being us or something wrong with us instead reminding ourselves that sometimes it's not a right fit and that we're deserving of finding a therapist that is able to unlock that door that maybe we're keeping closed so that the things that we actually need to talk about can finally be spoken to. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. So what Dr. Christina, like for someone who, you know, maybe hasn't found their right fit, you know, hasn't found their therapist, like what do you, what do you need to know going into therapy before you even start it for the first time? Like what do you like, I actually, I guess what I'm curious about is like, when you first sit down with someone, a client, what are you, what are you telling them? Like, what is like, what kind of space are you trying to create? Like, what are Cause like, I know for me, like when I first started, you know, and I think we discussed this, like I was shut down. I, you know, it took a while. Right. And so like, what kind of expectations are you setting uh, to the client for the first time? I really like this question because I think it might actually surprise people to hear it, especially if they've never participated in therapy. But the first thing I always say to someone as they're kind of getting comfortable in the therapy room is this is supposed to feel like a conversation. And I say that right off the bat because I think there's so many misconceptions about therapy. There's so many fears and anxiety related to therapy and truly at the most basic point, therapy is supposed to be a conversation. It's supposed to be dialogue. It's supposed to be connection. And so when somebody's coming into my office, I let them know that today is supposed to feel like a conversation. It's not going to feel like I'm drilling you for all of these questions. I'm not going to push you past what you're comfortable with. I'm going to allow space for you to ask me questions and we're going to have a conversation. I want people to know that therapy doesn't need to be the way that, you know, commonly media portrays it where somebody's telling you to lie on a couch and talk about, you know, your mom. That is outdated. I want somebody to come in and talk to me about whatever they're needing to talk to me about as I gently help guide a conversation so that we can get to know each other and see in the initial session if this is a good fit. Also, at that first session, I talk about how that they go home and they think about, is this going to be a good fit? Because the number one goal for me after that first session is A, have I made that person feel comfortable, safe and supported? And B, do they truly know that they have the decision to make around if they want to continue in this space? And if not, how can I support them finding additional resources so that whoever I'm in contact with never feels worse than how they felt entering. To me, that that has to be part of an initial session and, and what therapy hopefully feels like ongoing for people. I love that so much. That would probably feel like so much less heavy if you, mm-hmm. at the end of the, the session or whenever, like 
you ha- at least have a direction to go in mm-hmm. instead of just feeling like you fell off a cliff. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's actually kind of dangerous um, if somebody were to come in for their first intake, right? And, and it's time sensitive and they just start unloading, you know, their deepest, darkest pain. I, I can't ethically just wrap that up and send them back out in the world. Right. And so I want people to come in and start where they're ready and not feel pushed, shoved, pressured into anything at that first session. We will get to the places we need to get to um, in a very, you know, structured and clinical way. But this idea that your first therapy session is you unloading, you know, your, your trauma history or you, you know, talking about the things you've never talked about, I think puts so much fear. And I know for me, I wouldn't ever want to seek that out. I wouldn't want to be like, Oh, I guess I'm going to meet somebody for 50 minutes and tell them all my pain and then go back into the world where I'm still feeling it. I don't, I don't find that to be conducive or clinically appropriate. And so it should feel like a conversation. And my hope actually is that all conversations moving forward that I have with the people I work with, even the hard ones, still continue to feel safe and appropriate and a dialogue versus me telling them what to do or them, you know, under this premise of just sitting there and falling apart. Hmm. Yeah. I love that. It's like, it's not about putting a bandaid on. It's really about kind of developing the, the, the medical kit of (laughs) life, right? Like it's like the long-term sort of picture of it. Yeah. I love that. I'm curious, like, when, you know, for a second, like, think about, you know, like you, Dr. Christina, are pitching therapy. (laughs) Uh, Like, what what are you, like, what would you say to someone who's like, I guess just tell me, tell me and Jennifer and the listeners, like, what, what do people get out of therapy? Man, that's that's like a mini novel, but yes, I will try to do a cliff note of the things they can get out of therapy. But I truly believe that therapy in a nutshell is the gift that you can give yourself to truly understand, heal, and help who you are. I view therapy as a space that somebody can enter at any point in their life where they can walk in and whether they believe it can be helpful or not initially, because I work, you know, with a lot of people who initially don't think that therapy will be helpful, can walk in and at some point feel seen, heard, validated, cared for, and given space for them to process, discuss, heal, learn the things that they need to for themselves. I think of therapy as a space for us to truly be the best we can be. And by understanding ourselves and understanding why we do the things we do, why the way we are, things that we want to work on, things that we want to have support around, we then get to leave therapy being more self-aware, more equipped for future stressors, and hopefully 
understanding the value of who we are and the relationships we're in and what we want for ourselves. That was Cliff Note version. (laughs) (laughs) So when I hear you say that, it makes me so happy because I think of therapy in the same way. And I, I, it's not, it's not a place to like do these one-off fixes, right? It is truly a tool for self-discovery and self-knowing. And that, in my estimation, that is, that is the, that is the thing of life that we as humans should be doing is getting to know ourselves, getting to know what fills our heart, getting to know what heals us and what connects us. And, and therapy is, a tool, like many other tools, therapy is a tool for that discovery. Absolutely. I think about, you know, the majority of us, myself included, you know, most of our days or weeks or years are kind of on autopilot um, where we're just doing the things we need to do. We're working, we're sleeping, we're eating, and it's on repeat. And therapy is one of the very few places I've found where I get to stop autopilot and truly give myself time, attention, love, dedication, awareness to what I'm feeling, how am I feeling it, and and what do I want to do with the information that my feelings and emotions are sending me. I think that, yes, therapy is absolutely a place to go when we're struggling with our mental health, when we're in crisis, when we've had a loss, when we've experienced trauma, and... Therapy is a space if we want to get to know ourselves more, if we want to practice introspection, if we want to discover maybe parts of ourselves that have been closed off. It serves so many purposes. And so that is why I think it is a tool that should be available and accessible to everybody, not a luxury that can only be had if your insurance pays for it, or if you have a financial stability that allows you to render a service that is useful for everybody. I totally agree. That's, I think the hardest part, I'm Mm -hmm. definitely for me, but I'm sure for other people is that, you know, you need help, but it's, it's a financial sacrifice a lot of the time. And like, should you spend that on yourself? Mm -hmm. Part of you says, yes. Part of you says, maybe that's not responsible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. therapy and medical coverage continues to be such a hurdle. I could spend hours talking about um, the system at play and how broken it is under the guise that it ever worked, which I don't think it ever has. I don't think that the mental health care system is for the people that need it. I think it's for a lot of other things and the cracks are so visible that people, I mean, as morbid as this sounds, people continue to die because we don't have a mental health care system that can support the needs of our society. Yeah, it is devastating. And I, but I, you know, I hold on to the hope of, you know, you doing hashtag therapy is cool. You talking about, you know, Jennifer having conversations like this, uh, myself having conversations like this and showing people hopefully that, you know, that these things are okay to talk about and, you know, therapy is cool, you know, (laughs) and talking about our mental health is important. And hopefully, you know, in the near future here, we have, uh, 
you know, an improvement to the, the medical system because you're right. It is uh, deeply flawed. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, Dr. Christina, I, I so appreciate your voice and your, your noggin and just, just all of it. I, I so appreciate you and the work you do. Uh, tell the listeners a little bit about, um, I guess, where they can learn more from you, where they can uh, connect with you. I like the noggin. Thank you. <laughs> Me too. I was just, I was trying to keep my laugh. Um, but yes. So currently you can find me on um, Instagram under at Dr. Christina underscore. You can also learn more about the hashtag therapy is cool mental health action campaign, either on that Instagram handle, which is hashtag spelled out therapy is cool or on our website, www.hashtagtherapyiscool.com. There you can see updates on where we are donating that month's proceeds. You can see pictures of people all over the world wearing their hashtag therapy is cool tote or shirt or decal. It's a really great way to connect and learn about all the ways that this campaign is hopefully allowing for further conversations around mental health and destigmatizing mental health care, such as therapy, so that people can be okay asking for help and that there's other people rocking their therapy is cool saying we are a safe person that you can talk to. Amazing. Well, that's, that's amazing. Listeners, all of those links will be in the show notes for this episode, uh, which is up at namioc.org. Hopefully we don't even know, uh, but hopefully, um, but you can listen, uh, and connect with the show, um, over on Instagram at namioc, uh, and give, uh, give Dr. Christina a follow. And, uh, thank you, Dr. Christina. Thank you for being a part of it's okay to feel with, uh, Jennifer and I, uh, we, we really appreciate it. Yeah, it was a really good chat. And I really do love your Instagram. Like I love <laughs> I I love the simplicity of a lot of them, which I I don't often love the simplicity of a lot of Instagrams, but yours are so like the one I was talking about earlier. It's I mean, it's fascinating and sad and fascinating. <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate that feedback. I always tell people, you know, I joined um in an attempt to raise awareness and I write these posts kind of right before day of, um, of just things that I wish people had talked to me about or told me about or issues that I see, you know, presently, I think that there's a benefit of having mental health focused accounts out there, not as a replacement for anything, but more as an educational tool so that people who maybe don't have access to resources, who don't know anything about mental health education can at least come across a platform where we're talking about it and we're having conversations that are open and constructive. And, you know, I see people in the comment sections just truly lifting each other up and, and telling people that it's okay to ask for help and it's okay to struggle with your mental health and it's okay to not be okay. 
this is the world that I hope we can continue to create so that the generations that follow don't have to struggle in silence and can know that help exists and asking for it is a sign of strength. Thank you so much for listening. If you loved the episode, we would love for you to subscribe and leave us a review. For more information or just to say hello, head over to Instagram at NAMI underscore OC, N-A-M-I underscore OC, or say hi to known at you, me, empathy, or me, Jennifer, at Jennifer Lynn, J-E-N-I-P-H-E-R-L-Y-N. Thanks. Have a beautiful day.